60 KXNO. Ken Miller, Trent Condon. They are Miller and Condon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Good morning and welcome in once again. Miller and Condon on the air with you here on a Monday. A big weekend recap in front of you as we take you up until noon today. Trent Condon flying solo here throughout the next couple of hours. Don't worry, though. You don't have to listen to me drone on and on. You have plenty of other people that are going to be joining me today, including... Ken Miller, he'll be here to kick off the 11 o'clock hour. Him and Bama Bob will take a look back at the weekend that was in college football. A look back and a look forward with bowl season upon us. The top four is ready to go as we make our way through football season. And the bowl season is up next. Coming up today on the BMW Des Moines, BMW Des Moines guest list. Kicking things off at about 10.20, Scott Docterman from The Athletic will be by. We'll talk Iowa football with him. As many people anticipated, the Hawkeyes are on their way to the Holiday Bowl. They'll get USC in that matchup, a rematch of the 2003 Orange Bowl after the 2002 season. This one, the stakes are a little bit different, certainly in it, but an opportunity for Iowa to get to 10 wins, do it against a Blue Blood program. Looking forward to that. We'll talk football with Scott Dockerman and also a little basketball as Iowa tonight prepares for Minnesota game number two of the Big Ten schedule before Iowa State on Thursday. We'll talk about the Hoopsters after taking it on the chin against Michigan on Friday night. We'll get to that here as well today. Hawkeye football and basketball come your way at 1020. Scott Dockerman from The Athletic. He'll be stopping by. Then 1035, it'll be Mitch Gabrielson. He'll stop by from EB Sports. We'll talk a little bit about the bowl trips, both for the Hawkeyes and for the Cyclones as they make their way to the Camping World Bowl. We will get into that. Notre Dame, the opponent for the Cyclones, as everybody out there, I'm sure, knows at this point. But with the bowl destinations here, if you're looking for a way to get there and you're looking at some of those prices and what you're going to pay just to get there, then you got to find your own hotel, accommodations, all those things. Take it out of your hands. Do it with EB Sports. We'll talk with Mitch coming up here at about 10.35. Then Dylan Motts from the Ames Tribune will go deeper into that matchup with Notre Dame for the Cyclones. After the loss to Kansas State, many people thought, oh boy, this team was destined. Maybe a return trip to Memphis for the second time in three years. Could it be the Houston Bowl or maybe even drop all the way down to Phoenix? And the cheese Bowl, not the case. And that is credit certainly to the Iowa State fan base. The way that they have traveled, the way that they fill, that is a big reason that they are there in Orlando. Maybe the biggest reason that they're there. Kansas State fans, they're all upset. They have the head-to-head. Doesn't matter what it's about. These bowl games, remember we're talking exhibitions here. It's not about who is most deserving when you're talking about these games. It is who is going to bring people there. Who is going to bring eyeballs to television sets and on and on and on. And there's a reason Iowa State's going to be there and what they do as a traveling fan base. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the matchup with Notre Dame, the first time in program history they'll get the Fighting Irish coming up in the Camping World Bowl. That'll be with Dylan Montz. We'll also talk some basketball. Iowa State gets it done in the rematch against Seton Hall last night. We'll get into that and look forward also as it is Cyhawk Week. Iowa State come your way on Thursday. The 11 o'clock hour is mentioned. Ken Miller will be here along with Bama Bob. We'll talk with them about everything going on in college football. A look back at the weekend, championship weekend. Some of the big matchups. Utah goes down, opening the door for the Big 12 in Oklahoma. They didn't exactly kick down that door. 
They got through that door, though, and they're the number four team. They'll get LSU in the opening round, Ohio State. Clemson in the other semifinal. Looking forward to that with Bama and Ken at 11 o'clock, and then we'll talk college basketball on a national scale. Rob Doster will be our guest from NBC Sports. It's getting that time of year where Rob going to be joining us a whole lot more as we talk more college basketball with the football season wrapping up for 2019. That's the BMW of Des Moines guest list for today. It is a busy one, and you can always join us here, 515-284-5966. Well, let's go back and take a peek at the weekend. There were so many different angles, certainly, to go. I just go chronological order. My notes from the weekend, we'll go that direction, and we'll see how we come out here before we get Scott Docterman to talk Hawkeyes at 1020. Start on Friday night. Get settled in. It's an early tip-off. That means, you know, for people like Ken that just sit in the recliner all the time and are able to, you know, put your feet up and you're good to go regardless of a start time. I think a little bit more difficult for the most of us. You're getting off work, trying to make it work. For me, I got a little one at home, a couple little ones at home, a little bit more dicey. Plus, it was the wife. She had her party with her friends. They do this Christmas party thing. So I was a single dad. You got to figure this out. All right, well, what are we going to do? How are we going to keep the little ones occupied? While the game is on. Well, it didn't go exactly swimmingly. Had to go back and watch it later on in the evening for the full effect. But certainly the story from the Iowa perspective. Well, there's two. And it starts on the positive front. And that is Luca Garza. Luca Garza absolutely going off and dominating first half from him. Drop step inside. Didn't do it with the three-point ball. And that's something that Luca Garza has been very good at. Shooting the basketball from the outside. We've seen that from the beginning of his career. A big man that can step out and knock down a three. But that wasn't the case in this one. In fact, as he goes for 44, he comes a, becomes the first guy in over six years in college basketball to score 44 points or more and do it without hitting a three-pointer. He was 0 for 3 from the three-point line. But 17 of 32 from the field, 44 points, were the highest scoring games in Iowa program history. Now uh, only following John Johnson, J.J., back in the day, back in the 70s, in that all-time single-game scoring list. He was outstanding. The defense, though, not so much. And as we talked about so much two years ago with this Iowa basketball team, that was a terrible defensive team. I was always been able to score. That has never been a problem under Fran McCaffrey. And not just scoring when you look at points per game, but how efficiently they do that. Right now, Iowa at Kempom, an adjusted offensive efficiency. What this measures is your points per 100 possessions, and it's adjusted for opponents. So you can't just dial up a bunch of cupcakes and then put up huge numbers and have it there. It's adjusted for opponent. This tells you a lot about how efficient a basketball team is. Iowa is fourth in the country. Fourth in the country in adjusted offensive efficiency. Only teams in front of them, Michigan State, Villanova, and Dayton. Pretty good teams. I mean, right below them. Louisville, Gonzaga, Ohio State. You're talking about a who's who of college basketball. The problem, though, those other teams that we mentioned at least have a pulse defensively. That's not the case for Iowa. They're 134th in the country. Two years ago, when that team was just brutal on the defensive end, they finished in the 200s in defensive efficiency, 242. It's better than that, but not by much. I was going to have to find out a way to slow teams down and, and slow down teams that can score like Michigan could do. Look, if Xavier Simpson's hitting shots like he was, it's going to be difficult to stop that team. They were getting it from all angles. Six different guys in double figures for the Wolverines. They were able to hit Iowa in a myriad of different ways. The problem to me is not just what Iowa has, their limitations, especially with Bohannon out there 
defensively in terms of physical. Jordan Bohannon is not a lockdown defender. You look at any defensive metric that is out there, it will show you what your eyeballs show you, and that's Jordan Bohannon struggles on that end. Luka Gar's another guy. Well, he scored 44. How many does he give up on the other end? That's a question for Garza. Though he has improved on the defensive end, he's still not an elite-level defender. I, I don't even know if he's an average defender. The thing that drives me nuts, though, about watching this Iowa basketball team and, and watching them on the defensive end. So they go out there and they're switching defenses. And Fran, credit to him, I think he does a nice job, for the most part, pushing those buttons, moving things around. But as it was two years ago, you know, you start the game off and you got Jordan Bohannon, man-to-man with Xavier Simpson. It's a matchup that is never going to work. When you look at these matchups, don't just say, well, we always start in man. Because you start in man, you're down 16-2. You start in man, you're going to get down in these games every single time because you're not a good man defensive team. Can that change if Bohannon shuts it down after Thursday's game against Iowa State? Absolutely. And I think that will happen, and I will be a better defensive team without him out there, even with what they lose on the offensive side of the basketball. But the thing that drives me nuts is just how inadequate they are in understanding some simple, simple defensive rotational issues that continue to crop up. What they do, you're running a 2-3, and the gaps that are there, and there's always going to be gaps. That is what you find in zone defenses. And you have to be able to move the ball quickly, get it to the high post against the 2-3. All the, in fact, things we talked about last week before the Syracuse team, a game for Iowa going against their matchup zone. But it's not those that they give up. But they're slow, rotational, and it just looks like they don't understand. There are times where they look like they don't have a clue what they're supposed to do. These are teaching moments. And as much time as they spend on the offensive end and fourth in the country in adjusted offensive efficiency, you have to dedicate more. You can't get by. You can be exciting. You can score a lot of points. But if it's about winning basketball games and at this level... That's what it's about. That's what you have to do. Iowa Falls, 103-91. They get Minnesota tonight. Joe Wieskamp, where has he been? Mentioned uh, after the Syracuse game as Chad Lysico was out there for the Des Moines Register, hosted Hawk Central last week, and he said, still sick, got sick in Vegas, and he certainly doesn't look himself. If Iowa is going to make a push here and at least be a bubble team, you know, be a team in the middle of February we're talking about, if they make a run here, they got a chance to even be that kind of team. They need a whole lot out of Joe Wieskamp. This has not been certainly the sophomore year that many people anticipated there. Friday night, Oregon knocks off Utah, setting up the stage for Saturday. The Big 12 championship game, for all intents and purposes, is long as Georgia fell. And, of course, we knew that they would. It was a quarterfinal matchup, it looked like, to get in. 10-0, Oklahoma's rolling, here we go. And then suddenly, it goes back the other way. Baylor comes back. Charlie Brewer gets hurt. He's concussed. He comes back into the game. Something I thought was going to be a much bigger talker than it's turned out to be. Him going in, it's Baylor. The jokes are very plentiful there. Putting a student-athlete in harm's way, putting a student in harm's way, not a surprise by any means, I I think. And the jokes were out there, but just a bad look overall for Baylor. Matt Rule hollering at Charlie Brewer as he made his way over. Had a guy open for a touchdown and short through a short arm to throw into the end zone. Still, Baylor keeps rolling. How about Jacob Zeno? The third team quarterback hits a big play. Baylor's right in it. It goes to overtime. Oklahoma in the end gets it done and with it into the college football playoff. Another from Saturday, though. How about this? Off the beaten path a little bit. Uh, Certainly on the national scale, 
that you look at. But back on the local scene, how about the UNI Panthers? Going up to Brookings, South Dakota, a place just a couple weeks ago, they were throttled. Just had absolutely nothing in that game. Defense wasn't able to get stops. Offense was turning it over, and it got ugly against the Jackrabbits. They hung around. They played about as poorly as you could in a first half of the game, yet you look up at the scoreboard, and they're just down 10 nothing. and here they go. They make some plays. The defense was outstanding again, and they get the victory 13-10, an 18-yard field goal. Ends up being the game winner with just over two minutes go as you and I moves on to the quarterfinals. Now it's back to the road again. They go to second seed of James Madison. A James Madison team, by the way, that is dominating people right now. Outscoring their opponents by an average score of 44-16. They had West Virginia on the ropes earlier this season, the first game of the year. Dropped that one 2013. Since then, they have just run off 12 in a row. It'll be James Madison and a difficult spot for the Panthers. But uh, certainly a lot of excitement there. Back to the quarterfinals. Get that big victory against a conference foe and a road win for the Panthers. As we'll talk more about that throughout the week. To the evening nightcap after LSU dominates Georgia. Absolutely awful call out of me on that one. Clemson rolls, and then we get to the Big 12, Big 10, excuse me, championship game. Wisconsin does what I anticipated. They go out there, and they're throwing haymakers. They know their only chance to beat Ohio State is they're going to have to make some big plays, and they did. Jonathan Taylor was outstanding in the game. 21-7 at the half. They get the late score. Everything seems to be with them. At a halftime, as I'm sure a lot of people out there that are true degenerates like myself, you got to take a peek at that money line, right? got to see what the point spread is. And I was completely surprised by the number. Ohio State just still plus 130 to win the game at that point down 21-7. And remember where your mind was. Boy, Wisconsin looks really good. Ohio State looks, fields look scared out there. This team looks scared. What happens? They come roaring back. Get a touchdown, what, a minute and a half into it. A three and out from Wisconsin, 21-14. And it was on from there. Ohio State comes back. Wisconsin gets the cover, but not the victory. Still to the Rose Bowl for the Badgers. And Ohio State into the college football playoff with a perfect 13-0. Sunday then we find out the top four. LSU number one, Ohio State two, Clemson three, Oklahoma at number four. A lot of NFL. We'll get into that here a little bit later today. And then, of course, the nightcap last night as Iowa State gets it done against Seton Hall. Those first 10 minutes, if you were in there for that one with Sunday Night Football going on, apologies. That was some of the ugliest basketball you're going to find this side of Virginia through the first 10 minutes. But things started to open up. Tyrese Halliburton doing his thing once again. The story for me, though, was the play of George Condit. How well Condit played, getting up and down the floor, 17-6, and threw on five blocks on top of it. The injury to Mamaskashvili from Seton Hall changed the impact of that game, but certainly a big victory for Iowa State as they get ready for Thursday now and the Cyhawk game. A couple victories in a row after the 1-2 and two performance down on the islands. Iowa State starting to round into form. Bolton was huge in the second half. He had 15 of his 17 in the second half. But the biggest plays, to me, Halliburton gets the offensive foul, comes back, has the open three at the top of the key, extends the lead to nine, and from there, Iowa State able to coast and get the victory and the win. With that, we'll take a time out here. We still got lots more to come on the program today. As mentioned, Ken Miller, he'll be with us in the 11 o'clock hour. But next, it's Scott Dockerman from The Athletic. We'll talk Hawkeyes basketball and football as we continue. Miller and Condon back in a moment on 1460 KXNO.
Hawkeyes, Cyclones, Panthers, and Bulldogs. Yeah, we got that covered. This is Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Chuck got it back with you here on a Monday. Look back and look forward here this week. It's a quick one for Iowa basketball team after the performance Friday night against Michigan. They got Minnesota tonight. And then the Cyhawk game come your way on Thursday evening. Iowa finds out their bowl destination. We'll get into that and a whole lot more as Scott Dockerman from The Athletic joins us here. little Motley crew to get you started on a Monday. Doc, what's happening? The night before the Rose Bowl. I uh, thought I saw the finale, and then uh, here we w- are, that they're coming back on tour next year. I feel robbed and cheated. <laughs> oh, man. So for me, Motley Crue, I mean, that that is the embodiment of 80s rock music. Uh, you know, some of my good friends during that time period, they were huge Motley Crue fans. So because of that, I, I guess I became a Crue fan. I always call it butt rack. I make fun of it because of my age. I'm more of a grunge kind of guy. That's when I really started to get a little bit deeper into music. So... Motley Crue, though, did you watch the Netflix uh, movie that came out, what, probably about a year ago? Did you watch that thing? You bet. It's called The Dirt. Yes. It was great. It was interesting. I don't know how true it was, but <laughs> I do know it was very interesting. But, see, my own background was I had the confluence of about four different kinds of genres. I'm an 80s metal kid, but uh-huh. then uh, I graduated in 92, so we had the confluence of grunge, country, and uh, and rap all at the yes. same time. So. My, throughout my whole college years, I have them all mixed up, so um, I could go on uh, one day, one minute listening to Metallica or, or Motley Crue, the next Garth Brooks, and then after that, Dr. Dre. So, hey, uh, what do you know? It's it's all been good. A very eclectic mix. Yeah, I'm the same way it, it is for me. About 89 to 95, that's kind of really my musical taste, so it's a lot of NWA and Dre and Snoop, and then it's a lot of Alice in Chains and Nirvana. Very, very interesting mix, but... A good ter- period to be growing up. and uh, But we're not here to talk music, Doc. We're here to talk some Hawkeye. So let's get into it. Let's start with what we found out yesterday afternoon. It is the Holiday Bowl. That seemed to be the odds-on choice for everybody, but there's so many moving parts. The bowl selection process as a whole, a lot different. You know, I know with the Gazette for years, you'd be the one always doing the bowl projections. You followed it as well as anybody, not on just a local scale, but on a national scale, and you're actually somebody that did their homework as opposed to the people that drive me nuts that do these every week and don't know where places and teams can't go. But you found this as well as everybody. The selection process, just how different it is today compared to just a few years ago. I think part of it is the Big Ten decided six years ago to, to actually throw some rules into place that teams can't go to the same bowl uh, two years in a row. They, they can only, you know, certain bowls that are contracted can only have, uh, you know, two, two of the same participants over a six-year period. And uh, the Outback Bowl was the one that kind of threw everybody for a loop uh, going into the weekend because last year it used its double selection on Iowa, which wiped out everybody who'd been there before it in this selection process. So that also meant Wisconsin, Michigan, as well as Iowa could not return there. And, uh, you know, I guess they were kind of lucky that Minnesota lost last week because mm-hmm. otherwise they could have been looking at Indiana. But, but really what, what the only drama was for Iowa and, and the other bowls yesterday was just if whether or not Penn State and Wisconsin would sit above the New Year's Six, and they were. And, and when that happened, it made everything really easy because when Alabama lost, the Citrus Bowl realized it could get Alabama. That matchup with Michigan was just too rich to ignore. Had it been an Auburn, 
uh, maybe even a Florida, then, then I think there might have been some interest in, in Iowa there. But if you can get Harbaugh and Saban and Alabama and Michigan all at the same time, man, you can't ignore that. So that made it pretty easy for, you know, the Holiday Bowl one, you know, it had been up front the whole time, either Michigan or Iowa. Hadn't had them since the 90s. And uh, got Iowa. They're very happy with Iowa. The director came and visited a couple weeks ago. So I think it's a, it's a win-win for everybody. I think the Big Ten had a major win out of this as well. Looks like a, a good process. Three different teams from the Big Ten. Of course, Ohio State in the playoff and Wisconsin and uh, Penn State, as you mentioned, in the New Year's Six. Helps everybody up. Everybody kind of jumps up a spot here. We'll get deeper, I'm sure, as the weeks go on here into this USC matchup. But on the surface, it's a solid USC team. It's a team that goes a lot more up-tempo and has some air raid stylings to what they do offensively. But as a matchup, feel like a bad one, good one? Where do you sit as you look at USC? You know, it's it's really it's an interesting matchup, and I'm just trying I'm trying to figure out whether it's bad or good. I mean, you know, the bad part of it is this team as it's all it's USC, so you're going to have great talent, and their wide receiving core is as good as anybody you'll find. I think it's even a little bit better than Minnesota's. So that this is going to be a challenge for them. I mean, when you've got a a true freshman quarterback that's got four games of 400 plus yards in his last game, he threw for a USC record 515 yards against UCLA, uh, and then you throw on probably, if not the best wide receiver, one of the two or three best in Michael Pittman. This is a lot of challenges for Iowa's defense. But that said, USC on the other side of the ball is not very good. I mean, their yeah. pass defense is atrocious. They rank 99th. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they don't run the ball very well. And uh, they're one of the worst penalized teams in the country. And their turnover margin's bad. So if Iowa plays Iowa football in this game, if it can run the ball, which it should be able to, if it doesn't turn the ball over, if it doesn't give up big plays, I really like Iowa's chances in this. However, if it gets into kind of this up-tempo street fight, I think Iowa can compete because they do actually have the artillery to do it. But I just don't know that it's a game that Iowa can win. So I, I think this is a, a very interesting matchup. Some great players on both sides of the ball. Uh, but, you know, really – with, without getting too deep into the nuance of the game, it's going to be hard to kind of project who's win, going to win and lose. And, I mean, Vegas is kind of the same way. Installing Iowa as a two-point favorite. So one of the more interesting, I thought, bowl press conferences, you've been through many of these throughout the years, Doc, but Kirk Ferentz isn't there because he was out watching his son play for the Patriots in their game against the Chiefs. Gary Barta's not there, the athletic director, and uh, the deputy AD, Barbara Burke, was filling in for him up there. But I think the biggest questions that were out there maybe were answered right away as they floated A.J. Epinesa and Tristan Wirfs out in front of you guys. I think that tells you both those guys certainly going to be playing in the bowl game. Yeah, they both are. They both said they were. Uh, you know, Tristan Wirfs came out and just, you know, said he'd feel like he'd be letting down his teammates if he left. And and that that is mean that he's picked, uh, you know, decided to, to leave or anything like that. It just means that there was no chance whatsoever of him leaving uh, before this. So, you know, bringing them both out, I think it was really a, a good call. You know, uh, Kirk had asked us previously not to talk to him about it during this regular season, which we, you know, there was one little question that kind of got out there, but not much. But now that they have those opportunities to, to, to kind of talk about it, it it's, it's interesting because I think they're going to do their due diligence. They really like where they are, um, but you know the, both of them are projected as top ten picks. So I take that for what it's worth. Uh, but both of them, uh, you know, Worf's 
for his change was was kind of nervous to talk about it, whereas mm-hmm. Epineza was very professional. Um, you know, and and so it's it's going to be an, an interesting decision for both of them. But you know, when when you have that kind of uh, you know resume right now and and pedigree, I think it's kind of hard to <laughs> it's kind of hard for them to turn that one down when it comes up. Amir Smith, Marset, Nate Stanley, they were also there, and uh, both those guys talking about the possibility of getting to ten wins, something that. There aren't a whole lot of those 10-win seasons in program history. Seems to be the calling cord, kind of the motivation here during the bowl season, get to double-digit victories. Yeah, it's, it's a good goal to have because once you have kind of your, your season goal ripped from you and, you know, happened by two points in Madison, uh, you've got to rally around something else. And the fact that it's 10, 10 wins is a good goal to have because Iowa's only done that eight times historically. Uh, they've done it uh, 15, well, now 16, I believe it is, uh, for fit, for nine wins. But if you get to double-digit wins, you're going to be in the top 15 at the end. You're going to feel good about your accomplishment. And I know there might be some disappointment of the season as a whole, but you really, you, you know, sitting back, you're looking at this program going, okay, it had a really good year. If you finish 10-3, and three, you're able to beat teams like uh, Minnesota, which was ranked in the top 10, or USC basically in a road game. Uh, win some close games. I think that that would be a, a crowning achievement for this season and for this team. So uh, it is a good goal to, to kind of wrap your arms around. Doc, uh, before we run out of time here, want to get into a little bit of basketball Friday night. It was a road trip up to Michigan after the Wolverines struggled mightily against Louisville. They got right against that Hawkeye defense, and it's something that we've had the conversation many times before. This is never going to be an elite-level defensive team. They were good a couple of years with Woodbury at the back end of it, but he was just such a special talent on that end of the floor. What did you see? What jumped out to you as Iowa gives up over 100 again this time to Michigan? I, I think, again, it's going to be kind of a long year for, for Iowa on the defensive end. They haven't been good, really, as you mentioned, you know, other than about one to two years um, with that, when Adam Woodbury was kind of patrolling the, the, the post and, and you had long-arm defenders on the perimeter and some pretty good backcourt defenders. I, I think right now this is, this is, that's going to be the weakness of this team. I think it can score. I think it will score. It's just, uh, you know, right now, you know, it's, it's, it's 13th. It's given up almost 73 points a game, and I think it's going to be uh, another one of those years where they're at or near the bottom. So uh, this is that's going to be an issue all year long. It's going to be an issue this week. They, they're really midway through some, a tough stretch. However, you know, I think you've got to take some positive from it. Going to Michigan, a top-five team uh, on the road, you don't get a lot of success even with your best teams there. Uh, so what Luca Garza was able to do and score, I think you, you've got to be happy for him and excited for what he's able to do. But, you know, really stopping the ball is going to be a challenge, and then we still don't know kind of long-term what Iowa's going to have with Jordan Bohannon. Is it going to just be, uh, you know, the rest of this week and then done, or mm-hmm. is he going to play the rest of the year? And what's going to happen after that? You know, younger defenders uh, sometimes are good at spurts, but not overall. And I think that could also be a problem as they get into the Big Ten grind. Yeah, I think it's going to be on the defensive end. And, and I think everybody, it, it certainly, certainly feels like it's pointing towards Bohan and shutting it down after the Iowa State game on Thursday. That's the case. You are going to get a positive on the defensive end of the floor. Like you said, you know, Toussaint very well could hit that freshman wall. We'll see, you know, CJ Frederick. He sat out last year. He's going through his freshman campaign. Two guys that are better on the defensive end. Connor's a good defender, but it's a long grind here. And you're talking about a shortened rotation there. 
that certainly can be an impact. I think they're going to be better without Bohannon on that end of the floor, but you're also missing the guy that's going to take those big shots late in the game and uh, miss something there. Going to be an interesting season. Minnesota tonight, Iowa State on Thursday. Scott Dockerman from The Athletic here with us. Doc, out of time, a little short today, but appreciate it as always. Let you get back to the MP3 player, and you can listen to a little more Motley Crue. <laughs> MP3 player, okay. <laughs> Sounds good, man. Take care. That's Scott Dockerman from The Athletic joining us here. We'll take a quick timeout coming back. Mitch Gabrielson's going to join us. EB Sports will take a look at that bowl matchup for the Hawkeyes, the Holiday Bowl. You want to get there, we will tell you how, how Iowa State fans, we have you covered also on that side with EB Sports and Mitch Gabrielson. He's coming your way, followed by Dylan Motts from the Ains Tribune. Talking Cyclones here at hour number one. It's Miller and Condon on 14 Six. Get Hope. HopeLawFirm.com. It's 24-hour sports, morning, noon, and night, here on 1460 KXNO. Truck it back with you here, Monday morning, wrapping through the world of sports. Bowl destinations, we found them out yesterday. Iowa State gets Notre Dame for the first time in program history. Iowa get in the Holiday Bowl for the first time in almost 30 years since the tie against BYU. There'll be no tie this time as it's USC. Mitch Gabrielson setting up some bowl trips for people out there with EB Sports, and he joins us here today. What's happening, Mitch? Getting off the high of the big announcements yesterday. It was a win-win for both Iowa teams, I think. It really was. You know, set up in, in I think, the perfect scenario for a lot of people, what they were hoping for. You know, there were a couple of people I saw that were maybe hoping we're going to just take the whole state of Iowa down there to Orlando. Iowa made the the Citrus Bowl and make that possible. But, alas, that's not going to be the case. Makes it a little more difficult, I'm sure, for EB Sports, but you guys will handle it. Going down to Florida for a bowl game, heading to San Diego. Couple of nice bowl destination trips. Yeah, definitely. Best weather in the country in San Diego. And like you said, the Holiday Bowl. Uh, Iowa hasn't been there in 30 years, and so it's kind of a nostalgic game. So um, we have nonstop charter flights from Iowa to both destinations packaged with some great hotels. In uh, in San Diego, we have the Manchester Grand Hyatt right on the waterfront, full of yachts, short walk to the Midway, <clears throat> across the street from the, you know, the uh, that old famed Kansas City barbecue where uh, Tom Cruise sang the, <laughs> on the piano at the Top Gun, you know. Nice, <laughs> nice. I, li- I like so, that. Yeah. That's good yeah, stuff. We've got <laughs> yeah, so we've got packages for sale on kxno.com. You look on the uh, news feed, you see a big logo, you click on it, um, and you can look at your packages, and, and it's easy as that. So we offer a seamless, worry-free uh, bowl game travel package um, that we take care of everything for you. You don't have to search for hotels because they're all going to be sold out. You don't have to search for plane tickets because the price just keeps going up and up mm-hmm. and up as the demand for, you know, we're pretty lucky uh, in the state of Iowa. We have a really strong traveling base, so it's a big uh, big market for us. Yeah, certainly, um, and, and I think a big part of uh, so. yeah, the, the big selection process went into that for, for both of these teams having the opportunity to go there. Iowa State, it's Orlando, yeah. and, and that, that Orlando, you get, you want to take the family, you want to make it a trip there. There's just so many different directions you can go with the bowl yeah. trip and setting that up. So tell us a little bit more about the Orlando trip and Iowa State fans, their first ever time being in a Florida bowl game, certainly a destination spot for a lot of them. 
Yeah, for sure. Like you said, great for families. Um, and I think that I was going to mention, too, that kind of speaks to the, the excitement based around the Cyclone football program, you know, because essentially what it comes down to is the committee can take could have taken whoever they wanted, and they picked, um, you know, they picked us over a tied Kansas State team that travels pretty well. Uh, tickets probably would have been decent, uh, you know, and an Oklahoma State team that we shared the same record with. So I think that speaks about the excitement around the Cyclone uh, football program. Um, but, yeah, w- tickets, uh, packages for sale on the website, they're going to go fast. It, it's always like uh, for us, we'll charter planes into these college markets and then put together the package and they sell out fast. So I encourage you, if you're interested or want to get on there and look at it, um, it'll go fast. So, Yeah, get get on there right away. You can find it at kxno.com. Both Iowa and Iowa State, the bowl destinations are going to be there. Mitch Gabrielson joining us here, EB Sports. So you, you mentioned how it's set up. You guys have the chartered flight. It's going to be a direct flight there. You don't have to worry about changing planes. You're going to have your hotel, yep. game ticket, all that there. One of the great things, I went on one of these trips years ago, and it's not just that, though. I mean, you guys, I felt big time. Anybody that knows me knows I'm not real big time, but I felt big time going on one of these trips. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is the way to travel. If you want to go without worrying about anything, we've got travel staff that meets you at the airport in Iowa, gets on the plane with you. We have staff on the ground at the hotel on the destination. We'll meet you at the airport. We'll handle all of your luggage. We'll address any um, mobility issues that you might have and help you out, um, you know, with, with things like that. It's really a, a top-notch trip. We have the best travel staff in the business. Um, and we've been known for a long time uh, to offer some really top-notch trips and work out all the kinks for you, um, and that's what we do. So we've been doing it for years. I go to bowl games. I go to Final Fours and Super Bowls and national championships all over with uh, tons of traveling fans, and I still, to this day, am a firm believer that the best fans in the country are in the state of Iowa. Well, we're going to make that certainly true. EB Sports, you can find it at KXNO.com, the bowl destination, Orlando for Iowa State, and San Diego for Iowa. Mitch, good talking with you. Uh, hopefully, we'll get a bunch of people there. Sounds good, buddy. Thanks for your time. Thank you. That's Mitch Gabrielson joining us here today as we get ready. Bowl trips are out there. Right around two grand is what it's going to cost you. Double occupancy, get a couple of people going. Take you, the loved one, whatever it may be. Both air and land packages, and also just the land packages that are there with the hotel, the transfers, the game ticket, and a whole lot more. You can find it all. KXNO.com is where you can find it and uh, all the information right there. Let's jump in to the matchup for Iowa State as Dylan Montz joins us from the Ames Tribune. Dylan, good to talk to you. How was your weekend? Pretty good, Trent. How about you? Oh, not too bad. You know, battling through, watching football, a little sad as it was you know, dissipating late on Saturday night. You watch Ohio State rolling back against Wisconsin, and then no, yeah, the bowl games are great and all. We'll get the semifinals and the championship, but the season ending uh, a little sad on Saturday night. Yeah, it's it's just kind of crazy. Sport. You just have so much build up to the year. You start in the summer, and all the anticipation that happens, and then it's just such a grind from week to week, and you get so ingrained into it, used to it, the ritualistic style, and then all of a sudden. 
you're getting to the, the point where there's not going to be college football and it's, you know, everybody's wrapping up their seasons and before you know it, it's going to be over. But uh, a lot of exciting games still uh, to get to before that happens and um, going to try to tune into as many of them as possible. So yesterday you guys had an opportunity to talk with Matt Campbell after the bull announcement hit. It is Notre Dame. It is Orlando. And, you know, throughout last week, everybody was pointing to maybe it's a return to Memphis again, could fall to the Houston Bowl or even further than that, down to the Cheez It Bowl. Not the case. It is something that I maintain that fan base goes a long way and it certainly showed up in a big way with this election. Yeah. Two years ago in Memphis, I think it was kind of a reestablishing of, of fans traveling to bowl games and, and hoping to make it a, a yearly thing. And then last year at the Alamo Bowl, um, you know, the, the quote-unquote, I guess, the, the highest possible bowl that they could have ever gone to in the modern era, you know, the highest prestige maybe in the modern era. A fan certainly turned out for that, and San Antonio is a great place. Um, the Riverwalk and all those different things that you can do. But, uh, yeah, I think that was kind of the, the cool thing about the opportunity to go to the, the Camping World Bowl, at least from what um, Jamie Pollard had said, is um, it's a unique uh, setting. Iowa State's never played a postseason game in Florida. You know, it's kind of funny for as many bowl games as there are in Florida, you know, to have never been to one. It is a big deal to play somebody like Notre Dame. Um, the visibility that creates uh, the opportunity there is for fans to go down to Orlando, do the whole Disney thing if they want to, get away from the, the snow that we're getting in Iowa it is a big deal. So I think all, all things considered, uh, some of the bumps in the regular season get to this point where they're going to play in this type of game against that type of opponent. Uh, is a big deal. So I know they were all pretty excited yesterday when the announcement was made. It is Notre Dame, of course. Most anybody that's a college football fan, they know about Notre Dame and the history that's going to go with it here. And honestly, a pretty good Notre Dame team this year. You know, they were right there with Georgia in that game earlier this season. They played poorly against Michigan, but short of that, it's been a solid Notre Dame team. This is going to be certainly a step up in competition here, who they're going to see with the Irish on the other side. Absolutely, and that's kind of what they were talking about yesterday with Matt Campbell, Brock Purdy, uh, Greg Eisworth all kind of mentioned um, you know, how, how tough this Notre Dame, Notre Dame team will be. Um, and, and obviously they're really into the preliminary stages of the scout and didn't know a lot of details yet, but I think everybody kind of knows if you watch them. Um, the quarterback, Ian Book, really solid. Um, you know, seemingly always makes the right decisions. The defense is really good. And then Brian Kelly, um, you know, the longevity that he's had there and getting to the college football playoff last year and all those sorts of things. Um, you know, the, the, the history is still alive there, even though they're not necessarily competing for national championships every single year. I think people still see um, how, how tough this Notre Dame team can be. And, you know, maybe their, um, their, their fortunes would be different maybe if they were tied into a conference full-time instead of being independent. But the fact that um, they can – in this type of bowl, and I would say get this type of opportunity um, to be a real springboard into 2020, depending on how things go. Dylan Mons joining us here. It's Miller and Condon on KXNO. Dylan, uh, also a conversation piece that happened during the press conference away from the bowl game in Notre Dame had to do with the contract extension with Matt Campbell. Tell us a little bit about what Coach Campbell had to say about the new contract and talking to his team about it. Yeah, I think uh, that, was, that was kind of the big thing is everybody kind of knows through social media nowadays um, the, the rumors are just persistent. You know, obviously Arkansas and Florida State were kind of the, the big ones this time. People talking about, oh, you know, is this type of job going to be the one that's able to lure Matt Campbell away? You know, what is what is his mindset? Does he, he think he can make a next step somewhere else? Um, you know, really, and I think the, the whole thing with the team meeting, 
much for him to just kind of uh, calm some some nerves a little bit. I've had now Brock Purdy mentioned there were some conversations within the locker room that maybe you know there people are worried is they hear all these rumors they don't know what's true. But Brock Purdy said they can go right up to him and ask him, and Matt Campbell could even kind of mentioned maybe he could have done a better job of heading it off at the pass a little bit sooner before um, all the rumors really started to circulate and and get a little bit too noisy. So I think it just obviously. Uh, you know, was able to getting the one-year extension was able to allow them to go out and recruit last week without any of the pressure of no, not knowing what's going to happen. That everybody knows he'll be here next year. He's in, you know, in place to be here through 2025. So it just adds some security there. And, and again, I think it's just a peace of mind thing more than anything else. Talking with Dylan Mons, Dylan. Uh, with that, let's get into a little basketball before we run out of time. It was a victory against Seton Hall last night. Ugly first 10 minutes of that game, but they uh, get the victory late in the game, and it was once again Tyrese Halliburton getting it done, makes a play on the defensive end, gets the offensive foul, comes back the other way, hits a three-pointer, the lead extends back to nine, and they get the win against a good Seton Hall team, even with the injury that the uh, Pirates got last night. That's a good Seton Hall win, and that's going to, I think, go a long way come Selection Sunday. Yeah, that's the kind of marquee win that they had kind of been looking for um, so, so far in this season, obviously. You know, had the opportunity at Oregon State, had an opportunity against Michigan, and then Seton Hall in the Bahamas. All those went the other way. But, um, you know, this is really the first time that they, and Alabama is an RIA win, but this is really beating a top 15 team home. You know, having one of your stars play really well, having a player like George Condit come in and give you a lot of energy on both ends of the floor uh, is really big and certainly at least gives them confidence to know that they can win ugly because, like you mentioned, they didn't shoot well early on. Um, and then it was spotty kind of the rest of the game, um, but made some big shots here and there. Certainly Tyrese Halliburton has the ability to lift uh, everybody else and elevate play and, and make the right decision. So that's, that's important. But um, the biggest thing for them is it gave them the validation of knowing that they can win in different ways. Dylan, uh, as you look at this basketball team, the way that they're built in and the way they've been playing, George Conant was excellent again. This is a guy that seems to be continuing to grow and build as a player you already got two veteran big guys out there. Michael Jacobson was good a couple of games ago. Of course, Solomon Young, I think, has taken his game to another level. More difficult to find minutes for the big man. This is a deeper rotation than what they've normally had under Steve Prohm here. But do you anticipate that it's going to be more of the same? We're going to see even more George Connick going forward? I think you have to. I think his body type and just his skill set is so different than what either of those other guys can do. And I think there's there's a place for all of them. Uh, be out there at, at different points, but I think with the way Condit's able to, you know, Steve Promo has talked about the ability to rim run, getting from end to end really quick, um, the transition game, being a rim protector. George Condit has the ability to do all those things. His motor is, is really good and um, makes heads up plays and has a really good connection, I think, with Tyree Calburn. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, the, the floor is open for him to get some more minutes because he does provide something a little bit different than Solomon Young or Michael Jacobson, but um, you know, and it also, you know, maybe begs the question, do they kind of, as they get closer to Big 12 play and, and finish off the non-conference, do they run a little bit more with four guards and have one big man maybe swing the three of those in, three of those guys in there at different times? But I think Condit certainly has a place on the floor and is continuing to show that he deserves more minutes. Good play out of him, uh, certainly in the second half, too, of uh, what we saw. 15 of the 17 points out of Rasheer Bolton. He played a big role in the comeback, and, and after that first half, that was clunky at times. He played really well, and 
they need his shooting. They they still what four and nineteen I think is what they finished from three. They need Bolton to really carry things from the outside. Yeah, he did that a little bit in uh, Battle for Atlanta's tournament, but he needs to be a guy that can do that consistently for him because Tyrese will, he, he's Tyrese is hunting his shots a little bit more, but he needs a guy to be able to distribute on the perimeter, a guy that can knock down open threes, um, really stretch the floor and, and make life tough on the defense. So, yeah, I think um, his role is going to be vital, just like George Condit has been. So I think, um, you know, we'll kind of continue to see that progress and see if, um, you know, he can knock those down a little bit more consistently. But, um, you know, some, some big moments from him, too. It's uh, going to be a lot of fun watching this team going forward and what they're going to be. Cyhawk game on Thursday night. Dylan, are you going to be covering that one up at Hilton? I will not be. I, Travis Hines, uh, our sports editor, will be flying solo, but uh, I'll be catching along on Twitter, and um, I'll record the game so I can, can watch afterward. But uh, it should be an interesting one. It, it always seems to be. You got your marching orders yet for Orlando? Is that something you're working on this week? It, yeah, I got my marching orders. I'll be heading down there a couple days before Christmas and being there through the game. So um, plenty of content is going to be coming from that and, and certainly throughout this week, hopefully, to have, have some more stuff. But it's going to be a busy month and lots of, lots of different things happening. Good stuff. Dylan Montz joining us here from the Ames Tribune. AmesTrib.com is where you can find all of Dylan, Travis, and everybody's content with the Ames Tribune. Thanks for your time today, Dylan. Yep, thanks, Trent. Take care. That's Dylan Montz joining us here. Also, Mitch Gabrielson, EB Sports. You want to make the trip? You want to follow the team to Orlando? That is the place to go. All the information up for both bowl trips, Iowa and Iowa State, KXNO.com. We'll take a timeout. Come back the 11 o'clock hour. We kick it off. Bama Bob checks in along with Ken Miller. He'll be with us from Tucson. We also have Rob Doster. We'll talk more college basketball with him. A busy hour to go still. It's Miller and Condon on 1460.